The Cozy Robot Show. Hey, Cozy Robots. I'm Mike McCarg. And, I'm Vic. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh. Go ahead. That's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> I'm Victory Palmasano. I really wanted to tell you guys. <laughs> and I'm Grace Vaughn. And this is the Cozy Robot Show, where we talk about empathetic skepticism, getting in touch with our feelings and thinking critically about the world and trying to make the kind of world we all would like to live in together. And uh, yeah, Victory, nice to see you back. Thank you. I'm back in front of the China Hutch in my own home. <laughs> With lights and microphones and all of the things. I know. I'm all suited and booted. <laughs> <laughs> I, is that a colloquialism? It is a colloquialism. <laughs> Indeed, first good sir. Time. It is a colloquialism. <laughs> That's the first the time way I've ever you heard did, it. Mike, the way you said that was very like powdered wig, a cane. <laughs> He's been watching so much Bridgerton. <laughs> yeah. Colloquialism. <laughs> Why, well, yes, I, I, I do believe it is. That's very funny. Suited and booted. Suited I mean, and booted. Suited and yeah, booted. It's like do you're you know, ready to go. Do you know the etymology of that colloquialism? I don't know. Late night clubbing? It, I assumed it would uh, be of military origin. Probably. Yeah. I will no, have no, to remember I'm to looted. look that up after the show. <laughs> Stephanie we'll Tate said, that. I want to loan you my fancy cane now so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I love that someone has a fancy cane that's yeah. watching. That's pretty, oh, that's pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive. Um, and then someone else said, I thought the intro music was meant to exude empathetic skepticism. Ooh, that Ooh, it definitely really was. really beautiful. It de- it, that, it, that was definitely an intentional choice and not a uh, stock music. Not, yeah. We yeah. definitely thought through that. We composed that. it. <laughs> we sat down. We thought about the key. And yeah, exactly. Um, well, so very important. Okay. We have Grace. And last yes. week we talked about Grace and how Grace yes, came to be on the show. And this mm-hmm. week we're doing that with Victory. That's so we that. want you, since Grace and Victory are on the Cozy Robot show, and a lot of you uh, came by way of the show, if you've been around for a while because you're familiar with my work. Now, I know a lot of you who are new to the Cozy Robot show, you're like, of course, Grace and Victory, that's co-host of the Cozy Robot show. Duh. <laughs> but for people who've been around a little longer and might be curious... Uh, we wanted to dig into the right. So in our last episode, we got to know our social media manager, Grace, a little bit better. On tonight's episode, it's producer Victory's turn. Victory Palmazano is a producer, writer, and creative development executive with 15 years of experience in both traditional and digital entertainment. She produces for the Cozy Robot Show and, as you can see, also co-hosts. Most importantly, though, Victory is also a dear friend of mine. Uh, Star, are we mentioning Quantum Spin Studio slash partnership, or are we still keeping that under wraps? I was not supposed to read that. Oh, my teleprompter. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. Cat um, out of bag. Cat so, out of the bag. You may also not know that the Cozy Robot Show is brought to you by the Quantum Spin Studios <laughs> company. Ta-da! In which Victor and I are partners, mm-hmm. at, along with Tanner who is uh, probably watching silently right now with a baby. Yeah. So, 
let me now ask in a natural and neurotypical sounding way. <laughs> Victory, can you tell us about how we met one another, how we became <laughs> friends and coworkers? Taps cane with a flourish. <laughs> and tips top hat. <laughs> Come on, fair lady. lady. <laughs> Milady. Tanner says, I'm watching silently with a baby. <laughs> um, I sure can, Mike. Uh, you and I met because I came on to the liturgists for a very brief time and produced a handful of episodes. Uh, and you and I uh, sat together in a little tiny office, just me and you, and we plotted out an entire Liturgist season. Worldwide Headquarters. Yes. <laughs> small room. HQ. A very small room. And, um, HQ. And we plotted out an entire season, which I don't think hardly we did, ended up doing any of it, but um, we got to know each other. And, uh, and little by little, over the months, we developed a friendship. Mm. And it was a very beautiful thing. Um, and on top of that, for me, Mike had recently learned about his uh, autism diagnosis. And literally the week I met Mike, my husband had just been diagnosed with autism. Wow. And it was a really that. cool, I don't know, synergistic thing, or it felt like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm superstitious and I love signs. Um, so to me, it was like a sign, like, oh my gosh, this thing is happening in my life. And then mm -hmm. I meet Mike, who just got diagnosed himself. I think I think he'd been diagnosed maybe a little over a year, maybe not even. I don't know anyway. how it's been since I was diagnosed. So Yeah, and there were all of these like hallmark things that, first of all, let's say, the, the famous phrase, if you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person. So not mm -hmm. all autistic people are alike. However, Mike and Daniel have some remarkable similarities. <laughs> one of them was that Mike always wore a black t-shirt and blue jeans. And when I met at the time, we've since schnazzed up his wardrobe a little bit. When the camera's for on. Camera, for the camera. For the camera. <laughs> I, I put this shirt over my dark gray t-shirt approximately five minutes before the show. Yeah. Uh, and when I met Daniel, he literally, and this is, of course, before I knew that he was on the spectrum, he just had a closet full of literally a line of black t-shirts and a line of blue jeans. And I was like, how interesting. Anyways, efficient. there were many similarities, very efficient. It was like, don't have to think about it. Um, so there were there came to be many similarities that... Um, they were really helpful in, in me learning about autism. And it's become this really cool, constant feedback loop between my husband and Mike every day that I get to live with slash work with both of them. Um, and that's been really special for me to have that. Wow. Um, so yeah, we have that little added element to our friendship. I did not know any of that. That's so cool. I'm finding Guys. out with the listeners and the viewers right now. All of that. That's so much, that's fun. I love that backstory. I've got another tidbit for you that I've heard on, uh, you know, on the tabloids that the paparazzi talk about. Uh, well, I guess they take photos for. I don't understand culture. <laughs> on the tabloids. Don't really know what paparazzi do or anyway. Uh, I heard, Victory, that you came up with the name of the Cozy Robot Show. Oh, I did. That's right. 
I did. That is the true. That is a true story. I heard Uh, it from myself. Who was there when it happened? (laughs) (laughs) That is a true fact that I know. (laughs) I remember when the first words were spoken and I was really nervous to pitch the idea. And then he liked it. (laughs) But it was, it's basically him. I was like, you're a very cozy person and you're very much like a robot. (laughs) How about the cozy robot show? (laughs) Speaking of. The next yes. line of dialogue in my programming is, <laughs> oh my God. Victory, you're a movie and TV lover. What are you currently watching and loving? Smile. Smile. Don't forget smile. to smile. Don't forget to smile. Uh, there is, I really am such an avid movie and film watcher that it was hard to narrow it down, but I narrowed it down to a couple um, that really stood out to me this last year. One is Lovecraft Country, which we've actually done a little survey of some of our audience to see if there, there are Lovecraft Country watchers out there. And there are a few. So I just want to highly recommend it to people. If you haven't seen it. Um, William said it's really good. WandaVision. Duh. Not... I, I am not biased about this. I promise. <laughs> it is an excellent series that all people should go watch immediately. That Mike also happened to be the science advisor on. Uh, <laughs> uh, and finally, uh, Mike and my obsession, Ted Lasso. Yeah. Like we probably reference it every single day. Um, and sometimes it's just encouraging to remember a line of dialogue. Sometimes it's funny. Uh, it's winning lots of awards, and I highly recommend everybody go see it. Jason Sudeikis was best actor in a comedy series <laughs> at the Screen Actors Guild Awards. He's racking them up. Yep. Wow. That was on Reddit. So <laughs> I didn't watch. I didn't watch. I read. I read in the in the trades. Also, in the but, trades. Um, in the trades, you know, it's a business, a biz term, an industry term. Okay. What? Mike's like in the mainframe. Like, the trades. <laughs> so you say trades, Logging I think like in. stocks and bonds. Oh, like, like a trade publication. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just I'm learning this Mike too. something. Oh my God. <laughs> and it's been documented in video. It happens you know? all the time. That's how I learn. <laughs> Oh yeah, my so those gosh. are I would say are, are some of my top three shows. Right on. Yeah. Right on. Thank you for asking me questions about myself. Well, I that feel completes like all the questions that I have written down, and I'm unable yeah. to think of any spontaneously, <laughs> spontaneously other than uh, the question that wasn't a question. It was just saying you came up with the Cozy Robot show name. <laughs> right. A statement. So, Grace, than- I'm out of instructions now. I must desperately okay, hand the show over to you. Absolutely. Absolutely, Mike. I, I see I, you need a social bridge, and I am it. your carpenter. I am coming in with the planks. I'm coming in with the mortar. I'm coming in with the stones. Grace, you're so creative. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, it is the two shots of espresso. Um, okay, so, <laughs> so, um, Let's just jump into questions. Let's and jump let's into do, questions. Let's do a fun I mean, we should one. Talk about, we, should answer, we should answer as a team a very important, insightful question for everyone watching, though, so they understand the energy of tonight's show. Oh, okay. And yeah. that question we should all answer is, what you drinking? So, Grace, it was... Ooh. It was straight espresso from Starbucks. I am smelling colors, friends. <laughs> all right. Ooh. Everybody else? Uh, well. Filtered water in this Mary Carol mug. Ooh. 
which is nice. soup school. Um, victory. Mine is now gone, but I was <laughs> drinking just a little, little bit of whiskey uh, before my interview. I'm not used to having uh, the focus turned on me, so I just needed a little social lubricant in one of my grandmother's vintage. Uh, I don't know if you can see gold. It's beautiful glasses um, from. The China Hutch. <laughs> I didn't have to go very far for the glass. That's uh, yeah. Oh that's a, that was gosh. a great question, Mike. Hey, speaking of things that we have. Yeah. <laughs> nice transition. I know me with my social bridges and my. Well, you actually um, had a perfect segue. And then I was like, what if I took it back? <laughs> what if I. <laughs> you make a segue. I'm like, what if I. Unsegue. Snatched it back. <laughs> Um, well, actually, so uh, behind Victory is a China hutch, but behind Mike are a bunch of shelves, but with what on them? At alks.ke underscore on Instagram asks, can we some see some of the cute slash cool contents of your shelves like show and tell? Ha ha. Sure. <laughs> Should I, should I like go to the shelf and grab Absol- things or just talk absolutely. about it from here? I would say uh, oh, oh, oh. structure is unclear. I got excited. Structure is unclear. Structure unclear. I would say don't forget to take your headphones off, but grab three items. I have an extension cord so that can okay. reach any point and in my you, office. Can you slide that. in your chair? Oh, yeah. There's no chance okay, I was great. walking. I was just... Okay, slide. <laughs> <laughs> and don't break eye contact is, is the other thing that Victory wanted slide. to say. Uh, yeah, too late for that. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> slide and grab three things. Uh, Colby so Night exciting. Comedy wanted to know what kind of whiskey. Um, Colby Night Comedy, <laughs> if you're super into whiskey, I don't know if you would approve of this or not, but it's Four Roses. Are you a fan? I've heard Four Roses is really good. It's a bit sweet, but if you like bourbon. I love sweet a... things. I have a bit of a sweet tooth. <laughs> As do I. As do I. Easter was Oh, nightmare. don't get me started. I had so much <laughs> chocolate. <laughs> Colby Knight approves. Yeah. Four Roses. No, <laughs> okay. So there's lots of things on my shelves. Most of them are books. Because um, I like books, and the books on the shelf were uh, chosen by my friend uh, Jesse of Jesse Lane Interiors when she decorated my office and made it a set and and beautiful. Um, but we picked books based on like were they pretty or were they really meaningful to me. So uh, if you look at the books, the books are their own story. But this is a robot which seems appropriate for the Cozy Robot oh, show. So it is cute. made of tin, and it was a gift to me from Jenny, uh, either shortly before we got married or shortly after, uh, because <laughs> she thought of me as kind of a friendly robot. <laughs> so, oh, so, huh, how that odd. around for a while. <laughs> um, that, that idea. That is surprising. This <laughs> is a, a dinosaur. Is it a brontosaurus? Uh, a I don't oh. think it's a brontosaurus. Um, well, I'm almost I got sure excited. it's not a bron- brontosaurus. Uh, but um, it's a sauropod of some variety, chosen because it is at the same scale as Dungeons and Dragons miniatures. So when I do tabletop D&D campaigns and need a correctly <gasps> a scaled uh, sauropod mini, I have one. So this was the result of 
a truly terrifying number of hours of research <laughs> to figure out what scale D&D minis were and then find the dinosaur that matched those dimensions. And this is a little vase with a Ooh. ball in it Ooh. Uh, that is made of metal and can be used to do a uh, magic trick with. Uh, as a little uh, shout out to the fact that I really like magic. I'm not going and to do the magic trick. Every, okay. I was about to say, you, did now you just... you've disappointed all the viewers. We aren't um, going to see the magic trick. One must be very confident in one's given magic trick to do I it see. on camera. I see. And I would definitely do this trick around a table with friends, and it would be, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> But if you do it where people can pause and rewind, you've got to be really, really great. So I see. Anyway. But it is at least a cool little, like metallic vase. I mean, uh, that I love just reminds it. me I like magic. So I thought you were going to say it was a little baby urn with Ooh. some tiny ashes in it. <laughs> in one way, it is. It's a an urn containing <laughs> my memories of when I could leave the house and take magic classes. <laughs> <laughs> Just a small reminder. Yet again, Dapper Mike comes Dapper back, Mike. and we've had something there to, to remind, remind me. me. I am stuck at home. Um, yeah, a lot of people in the comments have been talking about Dapper Mike, and I really like the idea. Some people have been saying, like "Get out, it. mustache wax to curl the edges of your mustache." Other people want to see a cane. You with a cane, it's very fun. Um, moving on to the next question, Lucy underscore Wadham on Instagram asks. Asks, is there science behind you can't teach an old dog new tricks, age 36, and embarking on a new career? Well done, Lucy. There mm -hmm. is some science there. Um, the, but it's complicated. Uh, when you can't teach a, an old dog new tricks or when an older person has trouble learning new things, that's not actually a result of structural decline typically in our brains unless you have a neurological condition or disorder like dementia or something like that. Uh, usually when we find learning difficult, it's more the result of our habits and that we have stopped learning. So our brains are highly plastic and remain plastic throughout our lives. Now we do experience some decline in our generalized cognitive resources, our episodic memory and working memory does start to taper out in our 40s and experiences a steady decline all the way through the rest of our lives. But believe it or not, our applied intelligence increases as we age all the way up into our 80s and 90s. Uh, people's um, vocabulary, the uh, people's ability to perform even word-based tasks can continue to increase all the way into our 90s. So we experience, you could roughly say, uh, a mild, very mild decline in our uh, kind of raw intelligence, but a, a marked and in fact compensatory increase in our wisdom, our brain's ability to parse through and apply our experience to a given moment. Uh, I've heard this described by... Uh, you know, um, researchers as um, people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s should be like, that's who you want doing your research. That's who you want pioneering new ideas. Uh, that's who you want, um, you know, uh, 
creating novel and new concepts in society. Uh, but people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s should be teachers and mentors and leaders because of that ability to what? To apply the collective aggregate experiences to solve problems in a given situation. So as long as you continue to learn, like, say, starting a new career when you're 36, that will do a really great job mitigating a lot of the cognitive declines we see that happen when what? When people get set in their ways. The biggest detriment to our cognitive and mental faculties is not based on age, but based on sedentary and routine activity. Our brains need new experiences to stay engaged, stay fresh, and to keep forging new neural pathways. So the more new things you try, the more new tricks you can learn, even when you're an old dog. Wow. That's great. Is very hope-giving. Yeah, Yeah, that really is. Brains are amazing. Yeah. Speaking of brains, at Sanders on Instagram asks, what's happening when we feel like someone is watching us? I assume that's a brain thing. That is a brain thing. Um, That's that kind of uncanny question. feeling, yeah, like the, the tingling on the back of the neck. You think you might uh, be watched. I can think of a few things that contribute to that. Number one, uh, there's a study done. I can't remember the year. I remember the uh, experimental designation of the test subject, which was NH. So if you Googled NH vision study, you'd get the citation for this and the year. Uh, but effectively... The study was done on someone who was um, cortically blind, meaning their eyes worked okay, but the connection between their eyes and their visual cortex just wasn't operating. So this person had no sense of sight, could not see anything. But they found with this person who was cortically blind that if they were to, um, you know, flash movement, they would flinch and have no knowledge of it. Or if you were to show like a simple emoji of someone smiling or someone angry or someone afraid and then ask NH how they felt, NH would say, I feel kind of happy. I feel kind of afraid. I feel, and I don't know why. And they learned from that experience and then looking deeper into neuroanatomy that the ocular uh information that comes in from our retinas does not just go to our visual cortex, but branches off into other parts of our brains and even into our polyvagal systems, the kind of uh, network of nerves between our guts and our brains uh, that uh, handles rapid physiological responses to stimuli even quicker than our brains. You could think of the polyvagal system as a, as a forerunner to brains in the first place. And, um, So what does that mean? It means our bodies and our lower brain, our primitive brain, is aware of far more than we are processing cortically in our our, uh, range of vision. So if something's happening in our peripheral vision or if we passed by something without noticing it consciously, well, guess what happened? Part of our brain body system was aware someone was looking at us in a way. And as a social mammal, it's really important to know when someone's looking at you. And then the other thing is because we're social mammals, we're kind of hyper vigilant about whether people are paying attention to us or not. And mm-hmm. research has shown that if like you put sunglasses on someone um, and who's not the test subject, and then you ask test subjects, is that person looking at you? If you can't see someone's line of vision, you generally assume, yes, I'm being looked at, whether that's accurate or not, right? 
So when you combine those things together, we find that like evolutionary speaking for a social mammal, there's no penalty for a false positive of being watched. But there is a penalty for not noticing when you're being watched because a lot of our behaviors are performative and designed for social social adhesion and kind of social rank seeking. So um, it makes a lot of sense that we get a sense that we're being watched all the time. And now that I think about it, it's also probably makes a lot of sense that I literally never get that sense, <laughs> uh, even if it's true, because I don't notice or care when people are watching me. That's hilarious because as you were talking about it, I literally was like, <laughs> I could feel it. I could like when feel I reference the, hairs the, on the, back the of tingling mind. on the na- nape yeah. of the neck, I'm quoting word for word something I read somewhere. I'm not familiar with that s- sensation. Personally. And I started to feel it immediately as you started talking about it. That's I mean, very we can funny. even feel it if we're sleeping. Like if someone's watching you, you can <gasps> wake up feeling watched or I can. Uh, I, d- I, I can't wild. remember if we had a... Um, <clears throat> Yes, I I completely agree with that. Small small anecdote. When I was when I was very little, I um <laughs> I I had a nightmare and I went into my dad's room, my parents' room, and I stood next to the bed, but I was I didn't want to wake him up cuz I I didn't want to make him grumpy, right? Mm-hmm. But so I just imagine it. A little girl in a beam of moonlight staring yeah. oh, yeah. at you. He, he wakes he wakes up and he and he thinks to himself like oh look an angel like in his dream he's like a little angel and he wakes up and there's like a real little girl like staring at him and before he could process that it was me he was like oh god <laughs> so yeah he could sense it and he so, woke right. up he so his body could like you could sense think about that, that there evolutionary was possibly there was danger several, that probably like a heat sense uh, that so was tactical there was some sounds and all that got processed. Very similar story in my house. I wish Jenny was part of the show because this is a not quite as fun. A we story, should invite her one night. We should. That would be yeah. so much uh, fun. But Macy snuck into our room like typical <laughs> kid thing. Uh, mm. And Jenny woke up terrified. And instead yeah. of seeing like an angel, saw like a little horror movie girl <laughs> and started to scream and reached out and defensively grabbed Macy, who then oh, also no. started to scream. Oh, and they no. were having a scream cycle together. Meanwhile... <gasps> <laughs> I'm very hard to wake up. And so I slowly come to awareness that there are two people issuing blood curdling horror movie screams in my bedroom. And I sort of look over. <laughs> oh, that's Jenny and Macy. They're With both terrified. And so oh, then I had no. this, well, I didn't have the CPAP back then. Okay. I just snored. And so oh, I was no. just like, uh, okay, okay, okay. And I finally had to say, like, like kind of yell, stop to kind of snap them out of it. <laughs> And it was that same thing, just like it's the that same thing. Sense awareness, I'm being watched. Someone's there, Mike. I have and a I question. Slept it. I have a question for you. Is there something about taking this? Is this is not one of the questions? I'm sorry. I'm just so curious. Is there something about taking something that we find adorable, like a doll or a little girl, and making it scary? They seem to be such horror especially movie scary. yeah especially scary when we turn them on their head like a, a f- like ring around the rosy if i heard that in a in an old mansion i you would were just go, creeping me out right now well I mean, you it's time to go home it's time to go yeah. home because i i couldn't possibly be in this home any longer um tell me about that what is what is that do you have i've any? never read anything i i have a hypothesis so i don't have any way to validate this is true but this is my hypothesis our brains are 
really, really, really good at discerning human features to the point that we discern human features and things that aren't people. <gasps> oh, right. So like we can, if you make a doll and you show it to a dog, your dog's not like, look, a small person. But people kind of <laughs> are. Like part of our brain is like, well, there's eyes and nose and a mouth. And so part of our brain gets this sensation that that's a person now. An uncanny sensation. And there's actually a word in computer graphics and art about when you create an approximation of a human person that is so real but not quite real, it gets in the uncanny valley. No. And so I think Ooh. when we use visual effects uh, on, on people to put them down into the uncanny valley or things like dolls get pulled up into the uncanny valley through motion or animation or kind of lean on the things our imaginations run wild with, in the first place, that's where you get that sense of impending horror, doom, or terror that uh, filmmakers and television producers use to such great effect all the time. Yeah. Thank you for answering my question. And now, Mike, it's time to keep the lights on. Oh, wow. It's ad time already. It is. Okay. Here we go. The Robot Show is not possible without the help from our sponsors. And we're starting tonight with my favorite sponsor of all time. And that's you. You know, when we say, hey, Cozy Robots, we are talking not about me, but all of us. People learning to live you know, this idea of empathetic skepticism together. It takes a team to make this show. And now there's an entire community that happens around it. We have a private community just for Cozy Robots on Discord where we have let me just tell you the truth. So much fun. Just so much fun. There are hundreds of people where we get together and enjoy the good parts of the internet. Well, what's good on the internet? Communicating around common ideas and points of affiliation, discussing things in a way that feels safe, even with people who may not live close by to us. But we leave all the nasty stuff of the internet behind. Things like what? Harassment. Uh, anonymous users uh, who hide behind their lack of identity to hurt other people. Uh, structural racism and sexism and transphobia and all those things. We create an intentionally supportive community where all intersections of identity are not only welcome, but are celebrated. We have a book club that meets every couple times every month. We do video game streams together. Every single week after the show, we have an after party where we uh, play games together and Stephanie Tate almost always wins. So if you'd like to uh, join us in the Cozy Robots, uh, you can go to CozyRobots.com and learn how to join. And literally any amount will allow you to be a part of that community. Also this week, I'd love to tell you about KiwiCo. KiwiCo creates accessible, hands-on projects for kids that make learning about science, technology, engineering, art, and math fun. You may have also heard that described as STEAM. And when you sign up for KiwiCo, you get a box in the mail every month. They're called crates. And what comes in each box? Well, all the supplies you needed to make that month's project. So there's never any extra runs to the store or e-commerce sites, which is a huge bonus, which come with detailed kid-friendly instructions and an enriching magazine filled with content to learn even more about that crate's themes. They are a kick-ass way to start spring break knowing that kids have a package to look forward to. And these projects offer structure, fun, and opportunities for hands-on exploration. The crates are made with high-quality and sustainable materials and offer hours of screen 
free fun. So you can discover engaging science and art projects for kids of all ages, and that includes adults. I do kiwi crates myself. So discover the science behind hydraulics. You can build a walking robot, see how high you can make a rocket fly, all that by making STEAM seriously fun and delivered to your doorstep. So you can get 30% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line with the code COZYROBOTS. That's 30% off your first month by visiting kiwico.com, promo code COZYROBOTS. Well, the theme tonight is brain questions. Sean, I love brain questions. There's a brain on the shelf. There's a brain on the shelf. There's a there's a brain in all of our heads. Okay. Sean from the private discord asks, I've had one I've been meaning to ask. I think in the last couple de decades, our understanding of ADHD has improved greatly, but a lot of people still think it's a trouble sitting still disorder. That's in quotes. I was diagnosed with ADHD as a kid, and I think it's still affecting my life today in my 30s. What exactly is ADHD? How is it similar or different than other neurodiversity like ASD? And what's going on in my brain that's different than someone without ADHD? Lots of questions there, but mainly just ADHD. Gosh, I'm already disappointed in my answer, which to my knowledge is accurate, but unsatisfying. I'll tell you what ASD and ADHD share in common, and that's no definitive understanding among neuroscientists about what the mechanism of action is. So there's like leading hypotheses for both ASD and ADHD that medical experts uh, are exploring, but today we don't know. Uh, it is possible, uh, especially for ADHD, that a number of different uh, neurological conditions uh, come together in a common symptom presentation. There's probably more than one neurological and brain-body form of ADHD. Uh, the not-sitting-still uh, disorder, that's a funny description, for what effectively we're actually talking about um, executive function. What is executive function? That is our brain's ability to command and control our attention and regulate our impulses. So when you say attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder, both of those are facets of executive function. So deciding what you're going to pay attention to and with, you know, will holding your attention on something, that's part of executive function. And then if you get an impulse from somewhere else in your brain body system to do something, and you decide not to, that's also executive function. So we understand ADHD as being some level of impairment uh, in regards to executive function. So like, uh, you know, it's hard to hold your attention on things and it's easier to kind of fall into an impulse that you might have. And that would present itself as this kind of diminished capacity to hold attention and an elevated kind of impulse response. And, um, you know, if we're going to say, talk about something that has a disorder or disability in the name, that means we're also going to talk about the social model of disability. Uh, ADHD is only a disorder when compared to a bunch of social assumptions that were mainly curated by people that don't have ADHD. 
So, right. Uh, I I very much believe in the the social model of disability. I don't think there's anything inherent to um, most presentations of ADHD that is like wrong or bad. And I don't love the way. Now, hear me out. I, I, I don't want to upset people, but I don't love the way that we treat ADHD today. I think if people want to take ADHD medication because it's helpful to them and improves their quality of life, that's great. That's fine. I don't have a problem with it. But I would also prefer that we as a society structure our culture in a way that was just accommodating for people whose brains were you know, structurally different, mm-hmm. uh, including people with ADHD, because I understand that the richness of human culture, human civilization, and indeed the human animal comes from our differences just as much as our similarities. And so um, I don't love that we try to make ADHD brains conform to neurotypical behaviors because in doing so, we can actually socially as a society mitigate some of the gifts that come along with ADHD. So... um, we don't know the cause yet. There are a number of hypotheses. Um, and, you know, I think it's affecting your life still in your 30s, not because there's something wrong or bad about you, but because we as a society don't do a good job of accommodating you and other people who have ADHD. There you go. I mean, I think it's really interesting that there's, I think we should have an episode dedicated to disability and neurodiversity and um and mental illness all the all the things um because not only do i find it fascinating but i also i live with bipolar disorder Hmm. and i i love to learn about it i love to learn about how our brains are different and how um and i think it's helpful to talk about it (laughs) <laughs> for other people who are um who are going through life thinking oh i can't do this thing when really you're just your your brain is built differently it's not wrong it's just different mm-hmm. that's right mm-hmm. um i so thank you for saying that you uh, you kind of see it as kind of a I'm not being very eloquent, but do you know what i'm saying like i do know what you're saying yeah okay and i would also say like i didn't come up with that uh I heard Stephanie Tate say it, and it just blew my mind. Stephanie Tate is here tonight. I was tonight. like, oh my gosh, Stephanie, you just, in three sentences, reordered my understanding of the whole world in the most wonderful way. Right. Um, so, which is what, you know, that's what, uh, that's the beauty of listening to disabled people. Like, mm-hmm. Stephanie is a disabled disability advocate. And so mm-hmm. Stephanie speaks, like, at the intersection of, personal experience and applied expertise and uh, can really, because of that, help us imagine ways in which our world could be better for everyone, including disabled people. I love that. That's really beautiful. And so is space, Mike. All right, here we go. I really, I love these transitions. Okay, see, I, I, I pat myself on my back. Um, I don't know if you can see me loading a new set of tapes, but I'm ready for a space question. Zio Mantis from the private Discord asks... Zion wa- Mantis. Zion Mantis, I'm so sorry about that. Zion's Zion active on our Mantis. Valheim server. Uh, Zion Mantis, hello if you're here tonight, Zion Mantis. 
from the Discord asks, I've been wanting to ask this question for forever. I've Googled it before, and I guess I'm just not wording it right because I can never find the answer. Hmm. You know those photos of space things like galaxies, planets, etc.? Is space really that colorful and pretty? Or Ooh. are scientists, artists, artists, scientists going over it with dye or paint or digital coloring for some reason? If they are... What's the purpose of that? Shouldn't we see what it looks like for real in the original photo? Oh my gosh, what a fantastic, fantastic question. I don't remember the last time we got an astronomy question <laughs> on the show. This might actually, I don't know if we've ever had an astronomy question on the Cozy Robot show. Um yeah, great question. So um what you're talking there's two basic ways in which the color in a given uh, image that was captured from outer space might be changed. Uh, the first is through long exposure. So uh, I happen to be a rather uh, passionate, though out of practice, amateur astronomer. It turns out the night sky uh, above Los Angeles has slightly more light pollution than my native Tallahassee. Mm -hmm. uh, so astronomy is a little more challenging here. But I remember, you know, if you had a good telescope on a good clear night, in rural North Florida, you could look up and see something that was just astoundingly beautiful, a, a star cluster or a nebula. And when you looked at a nebula uh, through the, a telescope, invariably everything you look at with your eye in the telescope, it's not a planet, is some shade of white or gray. And then I went over uh, to a meeting with the Tallahassee Astronomical Society, of which I was a member for a long time. And they had a really big telescope. And it was hooked up to a camera. And then they would point it at something. And then they would like click a button and then wait. 30 seconds later, 45 seconds later, on a monitor, an image of whatever I'd just seen in a telescope would come up only now with vivid color. And I was like, wow, how did you do that? Like, did the computer add the color? They're like, no, this is like a, a video camera from the 90s. <laughs> oh, wow. So, so how's that happening? Um, you get more information when you look at something longer. Now, our eyes aren't set up to do that. Our eyes kind of sample in real time, like a video camera-ish, um, and get information about something. But when you take a camera and you tell it to act like a photo camera, a still camera, and look at the same thing for a long time, you capture more and more and more photons from the source, which gives you more information. So long exposure photography of relatively close objects in our uh, galactic neighborhood, I suppose our cluster neighborhood, um, you can get colors that are the real colors, but that you couldn't see just by looking at it even through a telescope. That's one. Two is false color images. Now, why would we do false color? Well, there's only so much visual light to sample in the universe. What if something is behind something else or or through uh, uh, on the other side of a nebula, cl a cloud of gas? So all the visual light's getting caught in that nebula, but maybe, maybe some radio waves are making it through or some microwaves or something that human beings can't see. Well, then we can use math to shift the values of that image and transform it into something we can see with our eyes. So if you have an X-ray telescope looking at stars, you can shift the values of those X-rays and say, well, like, if it were visual light, uh, it would look like this. Or you can use different um, 
colors, different wavelengths of visual light to represent different pieces of data in the material you captured. And that gives us useful information we can do science with. So false color images are actually used to do science as are long exposure images. But there is a third thing, and that third thing is artists' renditions, where an artist will sit down with a long exposure or false color image and then imagine what it could like. And those could look like, and those get created uh, by space agencies and uh, science advocates and educators. Why? Because imagination matters for our species. And if we want people to care about our place in the universe, it helps if we can help them imagine it. And in that case, artist renditions are an incredibly useful tool, whether or not they completely accurately represent the true color of a given stellar object. I see your true color shining through. Thank you. Thank you, Victory, we, for jumping in. I love in. when we all try to sing with the latency of the internet. It's so hard. <laughs> um, this one is, well, it's kind of heavy, but I'm going to ask it because it's okay. an amazing question. We, we welcome hard questions here. At Carrie Elizabeth 87 on Instagram asks, how would you parse the difference between ego diminishment and shame? Oh, gosh, there's already such a good quote for that. I don't know whose quote it is. Um, but humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Mm. So ego diminishment is can be a very healthy thing. Uh, it's avoiding fixation with ourselves. But because we have such a shame-based culture, uh, we tend to be obsessed with, do I think of myself too much? <laughs> and... Uh, I think I'm a wonderful person. I just love so many things about myself more and more each day. I'm, I've been doing the work of learning to really appreciate who I am. And I've noticed that the more I like me, the less often I occur to me. And uh, you know what I never think about anymore that I used to think about all the time? How many people see something I post on social media or listen to something that I recorded or how many copies of my book get sold? Because those are things that help me support my ego by using data to address my insecurities. And as I learn to genuinely love and accept myself, none of those things really matter to me at all. Um And in that way, my ego is diminished as my sense of self-worth expands. And uh, it allows me to be less fixated on me and hopefully more focused on uh, the people around me and the people I love and our society at large and those on the margins and the kind of world I'd like to actively be a participant in making with everyone else. Um, and shame doesn't help that. Uh, shame, the sense... Guilt and shame, by the way, are different feelings. Guilt is feeling a sense of concern over something that you've done, whereas shame is feeling bad about who you are as identity. Guilt may have a useful social function. I don't believe that shame does. And uh, all shame does is you make us insecure and afraid and fixated on ourselves. I Betty Punk Crocker said... Great, it, great, great handle. 
incredible handle. A lot of you guys have incredible handles. <laughs> Betty Punk Crocker said that they think it could be C.S. Lewis that said that. Seems the, likely. I was thinking the same thing. I have to be honest. Sounds like a C.S. Lewis quote. Yeah. So C.S. Or, I mean, with any given quote, you can say C.S. Lewis, Abraham Lincoln, Albert <laughs> Einstein, or Winston Churchill, and someone will believe that is the accurate This is true. Well, Mike, this is turning out to be the brain episode. Okay. We've had a lot of people who have said in the comments that they would love an, an episode dedicated to, I'm trying to find the comments, dedicated to disability, mental illness, um, all neurodivergence. Ne neurodivergence. I think that that if you want that, please put it in the comments. Please message me on Instagram. Uh, I We love that kind of feedback. What handle would they message you at? They Instagram, would Grace. message me at, well, I run Mike's Instagram account. So <laughs> at Mike McHarg on Instagram, they would also message our Twitter account, which is at Cozy Robot Show on Twitter. And there I will see what you say. And we take everything into, um, into consideration Additionally, if you are a part of our private Discord, and I got to squeeze in a little advertisement here. If you're a part of our private Discord, we really get to talk to you. You get to ask longer questions. And um, and so maybe look into that, CozyRobots.com. Okay, next question is... Oh, I already read that one. Okay, next question is another brain question. At okay. Jeff Zugswert on Instagram asks... How do you deal with impulse control? Neurons that fire together wire together. So the things that <gasps> we... it, boot it. <laughs> Sorry, was that not on the... Sh that wasn't... That was before the show. I thought I, I was doing a really no, smart no, callback. but it was. Yeah. Oh, that, that was, was on the life. show? Oh, okay. a great callback. <laughs> I would surmise I just wanted my props. <laughs> I would surmise if you looked up the etymology of neurons that fire together, wire together, and I'm suited and booted... <laughs> uh, the neuron one is more recent in emergence in a cultural context. Uh, <laughs> although I'm not positive. C.S. Lewis, okay. Both C.S. Lewis. That's the important thing. Susan so Booty. neurons that fire, as the great C.S. Lewis once said, neurons that fire together, <laughs> wire together. And so the things that we do over and over become easier. So uh, if we have difficulties with impulse control, uh, what we should not do is get frustrated and wrestle with ourselves. Why? Because that doesn't work. And we get frustrated and we fail. And then what do we do? We train ourselves to fail at impulse control. This is the whole like kind of puritanical individual moral action framework that we use in America, especially, turns out to be a pretty terrible way to train people to regulate their behaviors. It is by the by the observation by evidence ineffective. What's more effective is substituting behaviors. So curating a sense of mindfulness to be aware of impulses that we have and the circumstances that when they come up, and then offer ourselves a substitution. So I will use myself as an example because I know a lot about me. I'm a compulsive eater. 
when I feel, I used to tell people, I never feel anxious. I don't understand what people are talking about when they say they feel anxious, which was true because I was such a rapid compulsive eater. Anytime I started to feel anxious, before I felt anxious, I was already eating something. (laughs) Mm. So then when I started to confront patterns of compulsive eating, I started to feel lots of anxiety. Wow, so much anxiety. And, uh, And so when I'm like, oh my gosh, home isolating pandemic land, I would sit at this desk and I would like read something on the news or look at my financial statements when the events business got shut down and I would just be like, oh, I'm so afraid. And without even thinking about it, I would take the 12 steps to my kitchen and grab a bag of potato chips or some M&Ms or some Oreo cookies or something and just kind of have a quick munch. And then what do you know? I feel happy and go sit back down. But because this has been an unending torrent of terrible news for quite some time, it wasn't very long before I was grabbing another food item to medicate my feelings. And as I became more aware of that cycle, I realized, wow, I have an impulse here. And that impulse is to mitigate my feelings with food. And if I just sit here and like struggle with myself, I'm just going to feel bad. I'm going to do it anyway. So what do I need to do? I need to figure out like, what's the source of this? Oh, anxiety is the source of this. Are there other things I could do when I'm aware that I'm feeling anxious and about to go eat? That would address that core need of regulating my anxiety. Well, sure, there's lots of things. I can walk out into my backyard because I like to look at hummingbirds and plants and nature. I can give my wife, Jenny, a hug, which is certainly better for me and for her than me eating an Oreo cookie. My dog, Ruby, hangs out with me in my office. So I've started petting her approximately a thousand times a day as I become aware that I'm feeling anxious. And I'm like, well, I could just pet the dog. And that's probably better than eating my 900th Oreo cookie today. So that kind of awareness and substituting, you can almost think of it as harm reduction, tends to be a wildly more effective methodology for working with issues around impulse control. There you go. I mean, I eat, I eat to soothe as well. Who has not been emotionally eating this year? I, I, I think there are people who don't emotionally eat. I don't know if I've met any of those people, but I'm told they do exist. Yeah, um, I don't know any. <laughs> if I was quicker, I would have made the Princess Bride joke and turned that into an acronym and, and said, oh, this is already... I'm I'm hearing what I'm saying and it's already not making any sense. Oh my when, gosh! When <laughs> okay, when uh, you anybody know anybody want a peanut? In in <laughs> what is that from Princess Bride? Yes. Oh, okay. Sorry, it's the you only know, food joke I can think of. <laughs> See, that would have been were ten doing times more better. Of the, uh, uh, rodents of unusual yeah, size. unusual size. I don't R-O-U-S. think they exist. I, I was going to say, yes. I was going to say, uh, oh, the Betty Punk Crocker. She got it. Rodents of unusual, of unusual size. size. I don't think they uh, exist. P o a e s s. People of adaptive eating styles. See if my brain, if my synapses <laughs> fired faster. Actually, is that how it works, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I said that, I went, Mike's probably Pure going, well, panic. that's not how it works. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, pure panic shot through yeah, my no, body. Uh, it, that's a fine. That's a fine. <laughs> okay. Your synapses were properly suited and booted. No, just <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, a doctor's uh, uh, description for you. I, I I guess that brings us to the end of the show. Really? We've got a couple Believe minutes. It or not. Mike was completely shocked by that news. I, th- like, I thought wide. we had like 15 to 20 minutes left. I mean, wow. we've got a couple minutes, so let's chat. Let's hang. Let's <laughs> discuss another question. I mean, it's up to you guys. What do you want to do? Like, what are you feeling? I mean, yeah, as you can tell, Princess I've still Bride. got lots of espresso in my Is body. this Princess Bride cool with your generation, Grace? Oh, like you brought it up. Is it still we super cool? We grew up with Princess Bride. Okay, very that's much. Very exciting. Very much as you wish. Very much inconceivable. Very uh, much all of it. Um, I will yeah. say I've been known on occasion when Jenny's needs or preferences are specific and particular to say, as you wish, Buttercup. Oh, oh guess that's the, does she really say sweet. back? Thank you, farm boy. She's not. Fawn boy. Fetch <laughs> me that picture. Fetch me that picture. A young and we're Robin back to right pen. And uh. we're back to uh, Dapper Mike. Dapper Mike. Which is going to be the episode titled Dapper Mike. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny you said that Dapper Mike in response to the little uh, uh, urn. <laughs> <laughs> the urn. I had to wear a suit and tie to Hollywood's Magic Castle every time I went. So well, that is kind of dapper. And I bought have... vests, suit vests as well. Okay. I just learned. Oh, shoot. What's the name for a vest like in the UK or the old fancy version? A girdle. A <laughs> <laughs> no. Is it a petticoat? Oh man, I just learned it and I was like, that's what that means. It's not petticoat. Petticoat is like the big fluffy, like Here's gone the with the wind. If you want to like get out of my expertise, is like, hey, what's the name for this fashion item? Except for you have sent me really cool YouTube videos by this um amazing costumer woman. That's true. But I, I do can't like think history, of her name. Though. Like oh, the history. history. Yeah. That's why I thought maybe you'd know it, honestly. Mm-mm. It's like a something. Oh, man. I'll remember it for next time. Everybody I Google think it. you're it's thinking really of cool word. I think you're thinking of fancy McFance. Oh, God, I'm really not on it. I thought that the espresso <laughs> was going to kick in, make me funny, and it's just not working. Uh, well, with one minute to go, Mike, I guess we I guess we wrap up here. Oh, those Dapper small Mike. are called Hanschlons um, on Blorgums. Uh, there you go. There it is. Hanschlons on Blorgums. Perfect. Tara, <laughs> Tara Jadu. Is that me saying that right? Tara J. Adu uh, says singlet, which... Is a great word, but that's not what I was thinking of. And it's going to drive me nuts. Singlet. I Message feel like us your answers, people, because we need to know. Yeah, absolutely. Message message yeah. us on all the socials. Yeah. Well, I would like to say espresso grace and whiskey victory. I've enjoyed <laughs> spending time with both of you this evening. That's the best. 
I would like to be referred by those monikers from from henceforth, Dapper Mike. So Dapper Mike. So if you've enjoyed this Dapper Whiskey Espresso edition of the Cozy Robot Show, you need to know that it's been made by the most talented and supportive team in the entire world. So I'd like to thank a few people. First of all, each and every Cozy Robot. I'll see you in 15 minutes at the after party. Our producers, Tanner Hearn, Victory Palmazano, and Greg Nerdine. Our uh, Cozy Robot theme song was written and recorded by Madison and Macy McCarg. Production support by Amy Hill, social media management and co-host Grace Vaughn. Designed by Sydney Smith, motion graphic design Landon Satterfield. Set design Jesse Lane Interiors, wardrobe stylist and craft services Gina McCarg. Thanks for watching, everybody, and we will uh, see you next week. Bye. Waistcoat. Bye. Waistcoat. Bye. Waistcoat. It was a waistcoat. Thank you, Amy. <laughs> that whole time. Bye. <laughs>